I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Giant Splash. I'm Henry Schulman, the Chronicle's Giants beat reporter, and today's podcast will be the first of what we hope are many with new Giants manager Gabe Kapler. Many fans were not happy with his hiring three weeks ago, mainly because of his role in handling two assault allegations involving Dodger players when he was farm director and his two disappointing seasons as manager in Philadelphia. The off-field issues have been well covered for now, and I encourage you to read the Chronicle's extensive coverage from the days after his hiring. But with the winter meetings a week away, I want to turn much of this interview toward on-field issues, which Kapler largely has not been asked about. Well, hello, Gabe. How are you doing? Doing really well. I'm excited to be here in San Francisco and just moved into uh, a new apartment in, in North Beach uh, a couple days ago. And uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited to be down in the clubhouse every day, putting together what, what I think is going to be a really strong staff. And uh, that leads into one of the major questions I have. It's uh, as we're recording this, it's after Thanksgiving uh, and you have one coach. Um, has that <laughs> has that been a, has it been difficult at all to put together the coaching staff that you want? Uh, because of the uh, the lateness of the hour. I mean, I remember uh, Farhan had trouble hiring a general manager last year because nobody wanted to give permission in mid-November to loot, you know, right before the GM meetings. I mean, has that been an issue for you? Uh, it's a challenge. Uh, but what I'll say, Henry, is that um, we're a little bit further along than just having one coach, although I understand that that's, uh, that's what has been announced. And we're really excited to have Ron Wotus back as our third base coach and in a lot of ways a mentor and a coach to the, the staff that we're going to bring in. Um, we're a little bit further down that road, but um, we understand that there's challenges with getting started late. And at the same time, um, we have worked a really strong process at the outset. We're, we're excited about the hitting coach candidates that we, we've brought in. Uh, very excited about the pitching coach candidates as well. There's a nice pool of bench coach candidates still out there. Um, and we feel confident that at the end of the day, we're going to put together a, a world-class staff. And when I talked to Wotus uh, after he was rehired uh, or brought back, I asked him if uh, it's possible that you might hire um, what we consider non-traditional coaches. Now, maybe guys who uh, worked for um, uh, for private hitting uh, sure. places, private pitching places. The Dodgers had a very good year after they hired, and I'm gonna I'm not gonna pronounce this right. Vance Skyock. Vance Skyock, he's he's incredible. Yeah. So we we hired we hired him when I was in L.A. and we got to know him well at that point. Do you think that you might have a uh, somebody like from that realm, or or somebody from that realm in part of the conversations? So we'll we'll look everywhere for for coaching uh, help. And the one thing that I'd like to share is that um, when a pool has been fished in for a really long time, um, what ends up happening is the same fish, you know, tend to come to the surface and you catch them and sometimes you throw them back. Um, but it's really helpful when you look in every possible corner to find staff because then you build a, a diverse um staff that that has differences of thought and differences of background and come from different parts of of the world and sometimes they come from a cage environment and sometimes they come from a professional minor league environment and sometimes they've been around a really long time but 
if you're fishing in, in, in new ponds, new pools, you're likely to, to come up with some really dynamic coaches. So the direct answer to your question is yes, we'll look everywhere for our coaching staff and we won't say that we're just looking in one particular area or another. What have you been doing the last three weeks, mostly? Uh, been on the phone. Um, I've, been, I've talked to as many people as I can who are, have been in the Giants organization uh, to learn about uh, the, the various departments. That's player development, amateur scouting, pro scouting, international, um, and, and begun building relationships. Because I think in order to be a good leader at the major league level, I have to understand where, where people have been, where they are today, where they're going, and where every department is focused. It's my personal opinion that if I think about helping, I think about serving the other departments in the organization, then I, I give us our best chance to, to build something sustainable here. Okay. And, you know, speaking of three weeks, that's uh, there's been some time for things to settle down after a very unique introductory press conference may not have been the press conference you were (laughs) may not have been the press conference you were hoping for or expecting and as I said in the introduction to the podcast we're not going to dwell on that today because I think the fans need some baseball questions answered but it has been three weeks and you know I'm wondering now that you have time to reflect on it um the Bay Area being a place where ve- people are very much socially aware of, of issues, uh, of social issues, domestic violence, um, uh, any anything sure. pro- progressively. And I, I'm just wondering if uh, now that you look back, you can kind of understand why uh, the reaction, whether it was based on having all the facts or a few of the facts. Right. Can you understand why the reaction was as harsh as it was? I do understand it. Um, I think it makes perfect sense. And if I was a fan who was reading the articles that were coming out, um, I would probably have a very similar reaction. So I uh, can empathize with with the fans in San Francisco about you know learning about me through that medium. Uh, the thing that I'd say is you know sometimes I, I have, I've made plenty of mistakes in in my career, but sometimes what you're reading is is not. Um, the best example of of who the leader is that's coming in to to help your your team win baseball games and be really good in the community um so i'd always ask for people to get to know me personally and get to know me as um as a manager of the giants and as a leader in the community and and reserve judgment but at the same time i totally understand where they're coming from and i might have the same reaction if all i had to go on was what uh, what i was reading now, after the incident that caused Larry Bear to be suspended for three months, uh, part of his, uh, I, I guess you call it rehabilitation, although that's not really kind of an unfair word. I mean, part of the process of him before he could come back, he spoke to a lot of people in the community, uh, advocacy groups and whatnot. Is that something that you have done or hope to do um, that might help uh, give the community a, be- a better idea of who you say you are? Absolutely. Um, you know, through the interview process and, and since, I've had conversations myself, Farhan Zaidi, Scott Harris with Futures Without Violence. Um, and and the, the goal of these conversations is to learn as much as we can so that when situations like what went on in L.A. come up again, which they inevitably will, they might not come up in the same exact form, uh, we're better equipped to handle them. And I think the, the main lesson uh, that I've learned is that we need to ask for help. Uh, there are people, Futures Without Violence is, is an incredible resource. Um, there are people, there are groups in the community that are experts in this field. Um, I'm not. 
And so when these situations come up, ask for help. Don't feel like I can handle the situations on my own. And so futures is a great example of that. Uh, additionally, I've had some question and answers with um, sessions with with season ticket holders and fans who have asked me and other leaders very direct questions. We've had open dialogue about um, the situations. And for me personally, that's really impactful because it gives us an opportunity to open up and, and have a very real connection and to demonstrate alignment with the fan base. Those social issues that we talked about are issues that that I feel very strongly about um, creating awareness around. And so I think what people in San Francisco are going to find through some of these question and answers uh, sessions and through the investment in the community is that I will be a strong advocate and a champion of, of the issues at, that we've been talking about. And you mentioned the fans who have talked to you uh, at Chalk Talks with season ticket holders, maybe on the street. Women in particular have been uh, very critical. Um, I think they're the. I think women, honestly, uh, are, are the ones who might be more, most skeptical about you. What have you heard from women that you've talked to uh, in these uh, season ticket talks, and maybe people you've you've heard uh, just on sure. the street? I mean, I think there it's it's more questions because I think they're trying to find out who I am and and where I come from. Um, and 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 what what my goals are, and I think that through those conversations, the women that I've had conversations with come away feeling um, reassured that I I I support equality in the workplace, and that I support um, raising awareness around not just women's issues but men's issues as well. Domestic violence has been a, a, a point of emphasis for me. In, in the mid-2000s, I was with the Boston Red Sox, and my focus was a domestic violence organization. We started a foundation, um, improved uh, conditions and shelters in Southern California, and specifically, uh, my then-wife Lisa and I spoke at high schools, and I was kind of an advocate and a champion of, of the issues that we're talking about during my playing career. And so I think learning about some of the experiences that I've had and learning about my background has, has been re reassuring. But I'll say this, Henry, the only way to really acquire uh, the buy-in is to see me work over the, the course of a long period of time. It's not going to happen in one question and answer session. It's going to happen as people see my action steps over the next, you know, hopefully three, five, seven, ten years. Right. And, uh, well, I, I think that's that's probably as much as we need to talk about that for the moment. I mean, it's going to be a topic that's going to be continuous, and I promised uh, the listeners that we're going to talk baseball. Uh, and, and you mentioned that you've been reaching out to uh, all the various departments, and I, I know you said at your press conference that uh, you're going to rely heavily on Posey. Uh, have you talked much with Posey uh, since you were hiring, and have you reached out? To, uh, which players have you reached out to? Yeah, I've, t I've talked to Posey um, uh, several times, and, and Buster is such a thoughtful, um, articulate, and um, <laughs> he's just an intelligent man and, and player. So I've gotten his feedback on some of the dynamics in the clubhouse, and he's been excellent at, at bringing me up to speed. I've also talked to him about potential staff members oh. and what some of the characteristics that, that Buster and the clubhouse would be looking for. Because I don't think that we can, we can just kind of hire the people that we think make the most sense. I think getting player feedback um, is really important. So on top of Buster, I've had conversations with Tony Watson. I've talked to Samarja. 
um, not specific to margin, not specifically about staff, but I've, I've connected with them. We spent some time talking um, in the weight room here, here in the clubhouse. I've connected, you know, via text with a great number of players and, and continue to get to know them. Some of the, the guys who are on the cusp, some minor league guys, have had great conversations about some swing changes that I think would be uh, really valuable. And, and we've talked about how to get to those swing changes even in the offseason. Um, yeah, so, you know, kind of excited about a guy like Jalen Davis, by way of example. Um, he, I think with a couple of minor tweaks, this is a guy that can produce a lot of power at the major league level. So yeah, little, little conversations like that along the way, but I can assure you that by the time, you know, the new year rolls around, I will have connected with, had deep conversations with everybody on our roster and to some degree, some, some players on our minor league system as well. You're, you're really good at, uh, segues into my questions here because <laughs> um, one of the swing changes was one of yeah. the things I was going to ask, but not specifically guys on the cusp of the major leagues. I mean, uh, you saw what Hunter Pence did sure. last year after he yeah. worked hard to change his sure. swing. The Giants have some veteran players who struggle, who struggled and have not played to their capabilities uh, of late. Uh, Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt, sure. uh, Evan Evan Longoria, who yeah. actually has been you know, a little better, uh, and a guy you know very well. Buster Posey, sure. uh, hip issues, obviously, but right. um, have you had any conversations with them, the veteran players, about working on some swing changes? You know, Buster sort of hinted that he might go work on that with a private coach yeah. in the offseason. Have you had any conversations with them? You know what? I I think it would be pretty presumptuous of me to come in here and say I've got the answers for Brandon Belt, Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, and Evan Longoria, right? Like, I think the way those conversations work best, and I think the way relationship building works best, is to have conversations about family first. Have conversations to get to know the people first. There's going to be plenty of time to dig into swing changes. We're going to hire a great hitting department that is going to address um, some of these things, and very directly with, with our players. All of the people that we mentioned included. But I, I just don't think we're there yet. And we've been, I've been the manager of the Giants for three weeks or something like that. I, I don't think that it makes a whole lot of sense to, to have those be the first initial conversations. We will get to um, mechanical changes. We will get to approach changes. But I don't think it's appropriate for those, those conversations to happen right now. Okay. And, I mean, this is going to be a bit of a difficult question maybe to answer right now because you don't have your team set yet. But quite honestly, uh, I think there was an expectation that the new manager who came in would not have the same sort of loyalty to w- what we have got come to talk as legacy players. Right. Like Crawford, like Belt, like Posey, uh, for instance. Um, and... Um, do you think that you uh, could find a way, uh, if you felt it was necessary, to maybe play others over those guys if the other players are performing better? I think that's the right question. And and let me start by saying I have a tremendous amount of respect for track record and success. So the, the players that we're talking about are are well accomplished. They have rings. They have money. They have success. And they earned all of those things. Um, and at the same time, I think if you asked all of them and you, you sat them down in this room and you said, should playing time be merit based? I think they'd probably all say, absolutely. Who is the best person to help the Giants win on any given day? Um, should we play that person? I think those players would say, absolutely. So having those very real and direct conversations with with all of our players is going to be immeasurably important. Um, and it's not just, you know, the, the, the legacy players that you mentioned. Players want to earn opportunity, and if they're not performing, they're going to understand that there's always somebody who who 
um, is working really, really hard to take to take down reps. So without question, those those conversations are going to be um, had directly, um, head on, and ultimately at the end of the day, the players that help the Giants win most effectively are going to be on the field in the dirt diving for ground balls hitting home runs etc okay so you feel confident that when you're sitting down here writing your lineup card one of the statistics you won't have to look at is the dollar signs after a player's name i think it's i first of all i think it's always important to respect like i said the things that a player has accomplished and the reason that's important is because in my opinion the best predictor of future future success is past success um now that that's very nuanced because there's like the aging curve and 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 more recent struggles and at the same time no we will not be writing out lineups based on dollar figures and i can assure you of that okay uh there's one other player i wanted to ask if you've reached out to his name is madison bumgarner have you had a conversation with him yet i mean he told me that whoever the new manager is going to be that's going to be a, an important uh thing in his decision on whether to come back obviously money will be the right. money in years always trump everything right. uh maybe geography but i mean have you had a conversation with him yet i've not had a, a conversation with madison and um i have a tremendous amount of respect for what he's accomplished I've, I've watched him play for a really long time having my history uh with with the los angeles dodgers obviously he's an intense competitor um somebody that i think his teammates you know really respect the guy he is between the lines and how how fierce he is out on the mound. I, I feel all of those things about Madison. At the same time, I know he has a decision to make, and I'm trying to be as respectful as I can possibly be of, of his space and all of the things that might be going through his mind right now. Uh, I think there will come a time when it's it's very appropriate for me to, to have a, a conversation with Mad Bum. I'll look forward to that, to that moment. It hasn't happened yet. Okay. Uh, I have some more questions for you, uh, some of it touching on Philadelphia, and we'll get to those right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, back with new Giants manager Gabe Kapler. You mentioned uh, Jalen Davis as a guy that you're really interested uh, in looking at. Uh, you've talked to him a little bit about some swing changes. Are, are there any other players at the top level of the minor league system that uh, you know you feel the same way about? I think there's quite a few. I mean, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense to to get into each and every one of them, but um, I mean, I can tell you about some of the minor league players that I've, I've come into contact with. I'll tell you who stands out. I don't think you're asking about this specifically, Henry, but Hunter Bishop is is a really Im- impressive in- individual. Um, I'll share that we had a minor league uh, or guys who were recently drafted strength and conditioning camp here in the clubhouse about a week ago. And um, I had lots of conversations with the minor league players um, in that camp. But the one guy to come in and sit down and have a half an hour conversation with me, introduce himself to me, and really allow me to get to know him, and he got to know me a little bit, was Hunter Bishop. And of course, I've done a lot of, of homework on, on the player that he is. Um, he's been compared to, to Larry Walker. That's pretty you know, high praise. 
Um, and he's still got a lot of work to do to prove that he he belongs in that kind of conversation. But the talent is there. Uh, the athleticism is absolutely there. And I think what I'm most excited about is the character. And he demonstrated that character to me about a week ago today. Yeah, that's an, an annual uh, kind of camp that they have every year here, just so the listeners know where in the morning, this used to be how it worked, in the morning they would go out there and do all the physical stuff. And in the afternoon after lunch, when they were all ready to fall asleep, uh, people would come in and lecture them about uh, all aspects of the Giants organization. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about Philly. And, you know, I, I think that if uh, you had had two great seasons in Philly, uh, winning seasons and playoff seasons, some sure. of these questions wouldn't be asked. Of course, if you had two great seasons and winning seasons in Philadelphia, I'd be talking to somebody else on the sofa right now. Right. <laughs> but, um, you know, wh- what can you tell the listeners that you've learned the most about the two years that you were a major league manager? What are some of the mistakes that you made that you think uh, you won't make here? I think the, the, the most important lesson I learned is that the confidence of our players far outweighs oftentimes uh, the marginal advantages you get by making a really good in-game strategic decision. And I'll give you an example of that so that you know the listeners you know understand what I'm talking about here. Um, on opening day in 2018, your first game as a major league manager. Yes, first game as a major league manager, Aaron Nola, uh, who was you know the ace starting pitcher for the Phillies, was on the mound, and we had a pitch count set up based on how much he had been built up to that point, and that pitch count was somewhere in the neighbor uh, neighborhood of 85 pitches. Um, and Aaron Nola had done a great job in that game. Um, he had a five run lead, five zero shutout baseball, and we got to the sixth inning and it looked like he was fatiguing just a little bit. There had been some, some hard contact. And just as importantly, we had an opportunity to bring in Hobie Milner, who's a left-handed pitcher uh, to get out Freddie Freeman and Nick Markakis back to back. It was a little early for everybody's comfort level, but for me, the strategic decision, the decision on paper was to get that left-hander in there to face those two lefties and to take Aaron Nola out of the game. So I went out to the mound and I got Aaron Nola and I brought in uh, Hobie Milner and things didn't go well from there. Uh, our bullpen ended up giving up the lead and we ended up losing the game on a walk-off home run uh, to Nick Markakis with our closer Hector Neris on the mound. Um, All of this is to say that that sucked some of the energy out of the the dugout. Um, I think Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia, was upset that I had taken Aaron Noll out of the game and I did all of that to get the strategic advantage on paper. He wasn't quite yet yet at his pitch count. And I thought I, I felt us moving towards that pitch count. And I had taken all the information and made what I thought was the best decision for the Phillies in the time. But it really had a lasting impact uh, on the clubhouse because everybody thought that, you know, for Aaron Nola's confidence, he should have stayed in that game. And for the confidence of the clubhouse, he should have stayed in that game. And for the confidence of the dugout, uh, that he should have stayed in that game. And everybody was right. And what I learned over my two years in Philadelphia was that sometimes the most strategic advantage that you get on paper isn't worth the confidence that it might drain from a group of players or from a clubhouse or from a city. And I made that adjustment in, in year two in 2019. Uh, I left starting pitchers in there a little bit longer. Uh, I trusted my gut when, as it related to those things and kind of managed the game less on paper and more on confidence. Oh boy! All all of the analytic folks are going to faint because you use the word gut. Um, that- I, th- I think it's a balance, Henry. Like I think you have to get all the information that you possibly can, and I think you have to trust your gut. And what gut instinct really is is the combination of preparation pregame with 
a lifetime of experiences in baseball. I've been in baseball since I was 19 years old, professional baseball since I was 19 years old. I'm 44. So all I know is this series of experiences as a player, as an executive, as a coach, as a scout. So what gut feeling really is, is the culmination of all those experiences and the preparation pregame and then using that to make a quick decision. It's funny because Bochi actually, he went further than that. Bochi uh, would say that... uh, it was almost an insult just to talk about gut because it made it sound like you were just doing something flying off out of your head without having done um, all that preparation. Um, I, I did want to move on. Uh, speaking of Bochi, I mean, you watched the Giants. Uh, you've watched the Giants from afar. I, I, I guess you've had about, I don't know, 15 games, 14 games against him as a manager. You've seen what kind of manager he is. I'm sure you've studied uh, his moves, his strategies and things like that. Is there anything you can tell us about a difference fans might notice with you in the dugout instead of him? I think that when you the best way to get to know a manager and and I totally understand the public per- perception. The best way to get to know a manager is by being with him in the dugout. So sure, I can follow Bruce Bochy's moves. I know, I have a pretty good feel for how he manages the bullpen. One thing that that really stood out to me that I thought was excellent was the way he used the when Brandon Belt was struggling last year. Um, he still put him in the leadoff spot, and I thought that was a, a really interesting strategic move and one that I respected. In fact, I used it as an example when asking some of our players to hit leadoff that traditionally had not hit leadoff that were struggling. So by way of example, Reese Hoskins. Um, similar profile to Brandon in, in that he knows how to look over a baseball, makes really good swing decisions, fouls, pitches off, works deep, deep counts. And so even when a profile like that, like Reese Hoskins or Brandon Belt, is struggling, they still give you a good at bat at the top of the lineup. So Bochy's... Um, commitment to that I thought was was really interesting and I mean I guess that's one thing that I that I noticed managing across the field from him is that he's willing to make moves like that I thought he did a really good job with with the bullpen and um, but I think the best way to get to know a manager is by standing in the dugout with him in the way he communicates with staff and with players and I just don't have that kind of exposure to Boach like say Ron Wotus does okay this is a question that actually came up um I mean, even before you were hired, probably came up the day that that Bruce announced his retirement. There was a perception in Los Angeles that the manager, and uh, I'm going to use the word because the fans use it, the manager is a puppet. Right. That the manager is really there to do the bidding of the general manager, who at the time was Farhan Zaidi. The manager was Dave Roberts. Uh, and that, uh, you know, the manager's role is, is pretty much to write down the lineup that the uh, general manager wants. And the key job of the manager is just to make sure the guys in there don't kill each other uh, right. in the right. clubhouse. Right. What would you say to that? Um, I just openly, I just don't think it's all that accurate. I got the same sense in Philadelphia. So when I came into Philadelphia, especially given the history of the managers that were there, Charlie Manuel, uh, Pete McCannon, Larry Boa, Dallas Green, and, and that's what they were used to. And then I came into Philadelphia and with a young front office like Matt Klintak, Ned Rice, Brian Minitti, and me being kind of a, a younger, and my the perception was that I was an analytical manager, the, the thought in Philadelphia was that the information would be passed down to me and I would just be doing the work of the front office, which turned out to be entirely untrue. And very specifically, I had an incredible amount of autonomy as it related to lineup construction, as it related to in-game decisions, as it related to playing time, incredible amount of autonomy. The thing that I would want to convey here is that I have a history with Farhan 
Zaidi. Um, I believe Farhan trusts me. I think he trusts my ability to make good in-game decisions. I think he trusts my ability to make um, good lineup decisions. I'm developing a relationship with Scott Harris, um, our new GM. I think we're establishing and building building that trust. Look, all decisions across an organization are made collaboratively. When I think about lineup construction and when I think about in-game decisions, I'm going to consider the opinions of our field staff, going to consider the opinions of our front office, I'm going to consider the opinions of the scouts that identified those players as good fits for our lineup and for our roster. So one thing the fans should know is that I will consider everybody's opinion and value all of their opinions. And at the end of the day, those decisions have to be mine. Um, and so, and when I say mine, I mean like in the moment, the in-game decisions, as we, f- we finish up the lineup card and we bring those out to the, to the umpires. Inevitably, that has to be the decision of, of the manager. I think that the respect and the trust is there from Farhan and Scott to me. Um, I think they'll be proud of the decisions that I make. I think they'll they'll know that those decisions respect everybody, and I think that's what's most important to an organization. Okay, I just have a couple more because I've kept you longer than I promised, which is one of my no faults. No um, do you have a sense, uh, very specifically, uh, who might the candidates for closer be among the staff that you have right now? Uh, yeah, I'm not prepared to, to to dive into decisions about who's going to be the closer. I mean, I think the first thing to do is be um, – open and aware and ask a lot of questions look when we get to we get to spring training we talked about this being merit-based and we want to see these guys perform um you know with with will smith not a giant and with no kenley jansen mariano rivera mariano rivera style closer on the roster it's gonna be some competition so i think it would be without all of the information without actually seeing these guys with my own eyes to like declare in early December who the closer candidates are doesn't seem like it, it makes the most sense. Okay, so I shouldn't even ask you if Tyler Beatty, Logan Webb, and Derek Rodriguez, Rodriguez are going to be starters or relievers yet. I think you can ask the question, and I'll probably answer it the same way. I mean, okay. I, I've done a, a lot of homework on on Tyler. I've had multiple chats with with Derek Rodriguez. I played with his I played with his dad. So um, I, I think the world of, of Logan Webb, I've, I've followed his his career to date. I think they are all candidates to be starting starting pitchers long term. Um, sometimes arms like those are, are valuable in the bullpen as well. Um, but I'm certainly again, you know, early, early December, reserve the right to to evaluate as we go. Okay, uh, the last question. Since we're both we're both LA guys, so we're both very new age. We're we're not afraid to uh, to do stuff like this. But why don't you leave your body for a second and look at yourself? Uh, one thing that we've heard about you is that um, players, uh, not, not just players, but a lot of people, really really like you. And that on the other hand, there are some players and other people who really really don't like you and have been put off by maybe part of your personality. So I guess the question is, what is it about you that you think makes you popular with the players who like you? And and what is it uh, about you that maybe the people who don't like you are probably turned off by? I think the most important thing that we can remember is that the job of the major league manager, the job of the farm director is not to make everybody like you. You know, the goal is to make really good decisions. Sometimes those decisions, um, you're going to lose favor. Like anytime I've, as as a, a leader in the Dodgers organization, as a farm director, um, said to a player that they're not going to play as much, that's one thing that makes a player not love you as much, right? Same thing is true at the major league level. A guy comes out of the lineup, um, 
you you take away playing time you raise the bar for somebody you challenge them that can be it can be off-putting at times and on the flip side i think every player that i've ever come into contact with every staff member that i've ever come into contact with will tell you that i did everything that i could to support them and put them in the best possible position to succeed so at the end of the day as the major league manager for the san francisco giants what's most important to me is that our players feel respected and supported um, not that they love me. That's that's not the goal. The goal is for them to to feel um, like they have everything that they need to be successful, and the rest is up to them. Okay, and with that, I will go let you hire some coaches so that we can get on with life here. Thank you very much for joining me, Gabe. I hope we have you on uh, quite a more quite a few more times on the Giant Splash. Enjoyed the conversation. I look forward to more. Thank you for listening. Like last year, A's beat reporter Susan Slusser and I will bring you joint Giant Splash and A's Plus podcast from the winter meetings next week in San Diego. Giants Double Play is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. You can support Giants Double Play and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to The Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. You can find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. If you want to find me on Twitter, I am at Hank Shulman, or you can email me at hshulman at sfchronicle.com.